Feature Friday makes a triumphant return, and we're highlighting former Virginia State head coach and current XFL Coach of the Year, Reggie Barlow. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day and remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over just means it's time to follow me on twitter at south exclusives starts with an s and ends with an s we're going to actually end our episode discussing some major questions around the running back position at all hbcus but before that we're going to have a two-part i really enjoy kicking off the show with two-part segments so part one and part two and we're going to highlight Reggie Barlow's resume but first I want to tell you exactly why his success in the XFL is so important because Reggie Barlow's success in the NFL could create a change to where the spring leagues are somewhat of an HBCU pipeline now here's the thing let's say that Reggie Barlow makes it to the NFL in some capacity mind you we're not talking about going from the DC defenders head coach which is what he currently is in the XFL to being a Washington Commanders head coach, right? We're not speaking on that, but just going from head coach in the XFL to a positional coach, according to something, right? Some sort of position in the NFL. If Barlow is able to accomplish that goal, that is a win for HBCUs. It might not look like it on the surface level to some people. It might seem like we're just having bragging rights, but this is a win for HBCUs not on the surface level. On the surface level, it's a win for the XFL because the immediate story is DC Defenders head coach Reggie Barlow got picked up by the Washington Commanders as a quarterback's coach. Like, that's the story. And I get it. That's exactly what the story should be, surface level. But you just go a little bit deeper. I'm not asking you to go to, like, I'm not asking you to go, like, levels deeper. This isn't a three-level, four-level. This is just the second layer of the story and it's his background, the fact that he is an HBCU coach. You know, and we speak a lot about HBCU representat uh, representation, and we also talk about black representation and coaching. Those are two points that don't have to be separate. It doesn't have to be, or mutually exclusive either. Like It's not like all black coaches have to come from HBCU ranks, and it's either you're from the HBC ranks in black or we're not counting it. No, I appreciate and value both of those things the same way that you should appreciate the XFL and the HBCUs when talking about Reggie Barlow. It's not a competition for any of those things. These are all factors working together in my, in my book. See, right now, Reggie Barlow went from not being fired. He wasn't on the couch. He was at Virginia State and he decided to leave 
in order to be the XFL head coach. He left to go to be a part of the D.C. Defenders. So that's important. He wasn't on his couch. He left that position, and if he makes it to the NFL, I could easily see other HBCU coaches saying, I like that visibility. I like what he was able to do. You know, a lot of times we look at these spring leagues as what they can do for the players. You know, it's a big thing about player 54 because the XFL is essentially full of players who could not make the NFL at the moment or maybe were in the NFL, time ran out, now they're out playing. So it's about either giving you a chance to continue living out your dream of playing football or possibly giving you a chance to audition. So, you know, it's not really a set audition, but kind of audition and get another chance in the NFL. We look at it that way for players, but I'm not so certain it can't be that way for coaches. And I'm not so certain that Reggie Barlow can't be one of the first people to do that. I don't know how many coaches went from the USFL ranks to the NFL. I don't think anybody did it from the XFL because this is their first year back. So there's they haven't even had their championship. Their championship is this weekend, right? It's on Saturdays, tomorrow. So I don't think that anybody in the XFL has went from that league to the NFL. But maybe there's some people, some coaches in the USFL who have. And I think we need to view what these spring leagues can do for the coaches the same way we view what these spring leagues can do for players. You know, and listen, if it does become a pipeline of HBCU coaches going this route, everybody can't be a starter when we're talking about players. And every coach can't be a head coach. You might have to be a positional coach. You might have to be an offensive coordinator. And I know that the XFL doesn't have a history of stability. Neither does the USFL, really. So you might be a bit weary about putting your faith in them to work up the ranks. I'd understand that completely and wholeheartedly. I would get exactly why you wouldn't want to start off as an OC. But look at Dwayne Taylor. He's currently the offensive coordinator. Well, not anymore because their season is over. But he was the offensive coordinator for the Vegas Vipers. And that was in the spring. In the fall, he's going back to Alabama A&M. Who says you can't do both? Now, if you're a head coach, you probably don't want to be a head coach year-round, which is why Reggie Barlow left. But Dwayne Taylor is going from being an offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator. That might make his spring practices a little bit more difficult. But when you've been there at Alabama A&M as long as he's been there, I got to go back and check how many, day, how many times I said Alabama in the last episode. I just remember that. But... When you've been there as long as he has, you know, I can miss spring because I have people who I trust to install the offense the way that I run the offense. That's how I view it. And with Reggie Barlow, you could have people like Dwayne Taylor. You could have people who are coaches and maybe they do come into the XFL and they're coaching. Now, once again, I'm not asking for Reggie Barlow to come in and make the NFL and be a head coach or anything of that sort. I promise you I'm not. But I do believe that if he made it to the XFL as some sort of positional coach, that would signify the power of the XFL. That would validate the XFL just as much as uh, Cavante, I think that's the name, Cavante Turpin, kind of solidified the USFL as a nice little feeder system as well. Feed in coaches, feed in players, feed in opportunities for everybody. That's exactly what I think the XFL represents. And let's not limit that idea to players. And if... If he were to get to the NFL, I think that Reggie Barlow would be a pretty good quarterbacks coach. And I'm not just throwing this out of thin air. His resume describes it. You look at what he's been able to do at Alabama State, what he's been able to do with the D.C. defenders and his success rate as a coach, as a head coach. Yeah, I think he has a little bit of resume. Matter of fact, let's highlight that resume as we continue 
with Locked on HBCU. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the number one, numero uno, protein bar on the market, bar nine. What that means is you can put any competitor up to Built Bar. Pale in comparison, pale in taste, pale in efficiency. See, I've had candy bars that are delicious. I've had protein bars that are good for you. I won't sit here and act like I hadn't had, haven't had either one of those things. But the mixture of both is what makes Built Bar so special. It's what puts Built Bar over the top of everybody else. Because you have s'mores. You have chocolate chip cookie dough. You have cookies and cream. You have blueberry muffin. You have raspberry. You have a bunch of flavors that are extremely delicious. So they're good for me in that way. But then you also have high in protein. They're covered in, in dark chocolate. The Built Puff has marshmallows. There are a bunch of things that put together don't sound like they would make any sense. But as soon as you take a bite into a Built Bar, you're not thinking about logic. You're not thinking about sensical or sensible. You're not thinking about that. You're just thinking, man, how fast can I finish this so I can get another one? But you need to be thinking about how fast can I get to Walmart? How fast can I get to Sam's Club? Or how fast can I get to built.com slash locked on to use the promo code locked 15 and get 15% off my offer? And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. On tomorrow or Friday's episode or Monday's episode, excuse me, I always forget when we get to Friday to say Monday and not tomorrow. But when we get to Monday's episode, we'll be diving into the HBCU sports list of the quarterbacks to watch. Actually, that's a part of what we'll be doing in segment three with the running backs as well. Just a little taste of what's to come. But Barlow's resume looks good. Like, you don't get the XFL head coaching position for the D.C. defenders by just being a scrub. You don't just, any any geek off the street, right? Yeah, man, y'all got to show my pop some love for giving me that old school. Anyway, you look at what he's already been able to do. D.C. defenders head coach leads them to what is their, I ain't going to say the best record, but this is the best record in the XFL, right? He's the coach of the year. You see the success, but let's walk it back. Let's walk it back to the beginning of his journey at his alma mater. We're not going to discuss his playing days, right? But we're going to only focus on what he's been able to do as a coach. Because I told you I think that a quarterback's coach is a pretty nice spot for Coach Barlow. And the reason I say that is because when you walk it all the way back, when you look at the beginning of his tenure as a coach at Alabama State, before he was the head coach, he was the quarterback's coach. And that was 2011, no, 2007, excuse me. So that was 2007 to 2014 where he was a head coach. Before that, quarterback's coach. And in that early part of his head coaching tenure and at the towards the back half of his quarterback's coach tenure, you're looking at a coach who coached up to Tavar- uh, Tarverius Jackson. So, so Jackson was the last HBCU player or HBCU quarterback, excuse me, to be drafted. We talked about him, I think, last week when discussing Davius Richard. That was 15 years ago. That was a long time ago that that happened. However, he was key. Barlow was key to Jackson's development, and that's the name of the game. We're talking about developing quarterbacks. As a quarterback coach, you have to be able to better quarterbacks. And it's not like Jackson was a 6th, 7th-round pick because with all due respect to all of my 6th and 7th-round quarterbacks selected, I'm happy for you, but there's not much belief that that's shown in you 
Doesn't mean you can't succeed. We've seen quarterbacks be drafted late. We've seen Brock Purdy. We don't have to go all the way back to Tom Brady. We're recently seeing Brock Purdy be a successful quarterback with extremely late draft picks, right? That's, he was, I think he, he was Mr. Relevant. He was the last guy. So we've seen late quarterbacks work out. I get it. It's very rare, though. But we've seen it. But there was no belief in him. You think they drafted him to take Trey Lance's spot, the guy they just traded all that draft capital for? No, they didn't. Late quarterbacks do not have much faith in them. Jackson, second-round pick. There was belief in him. He ends up starting games for the Seattle Seahawks. There was belief in him. He turned, excuse me, there's so many he's, but Coach Barlow turned Tavarius Jackson into this prospect. He was able to develop him into being a second-round pick. He was able to develop him into being a quarterback coming out of college that a team said, you know what, we could see somewhat of a future with this quarterback. That is a statement. And then you look at what he's able to do offensively with the D.C. defenders, one of the best offenses in the league. One of the best offenses has the best running game. I know this isn't the quarterback's coach point, but they have the best running back in the league with Abram Smith. They have a very efficient offensive, or, uh, excuse me, they have a very offense, very efficient passing attack for their offense, and that's how it all comes together. They're the highest scoring offense in the XFL. This team has been absolutely dominant, and that's the reason that he's coach of the year. That's the reason why the defenders have the best record in the XFL. That's the reason that on Saturday they'll be playing for a chance to have the XFL championship. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know where my flag is right now, but I'm rocking with the Renegades. All right, I'm from Arlington. That's what I got to rock with. That's got to be my base. So I'm glad. I'm happy. I'm very proud of Coach Barlow that he's made it this far. HBCU pride. But Renegades, Renegades. That's who I'm rocking with. So sorry, but your luck is going to have to run out. This Saturday, that's that's what I'm rocking with, all right? I understand if you might not have a dog in the race, so you want to go with the former Virginia State head coach. I get that, 100%. But me, I do have a dog in the race, and I'm going to rock with them. But speaking of Virginia State, if developing Tavarius Jackson wasn't the crown jewel of what he's been able to do in his coaching career, if that wasn't the thing that he rests his hat on, like, look what I was able to develop at the quarterback position. And you know what? It very well might not have been. But if it isn't, then that 2017 year at Virginia State, because mind you, he left Alabama State. And he went on to Virginia State. That's where he actually came to the XFL from. That has to be the crown jewel. One or the other. And let me tell you what that 2017 year looked like, because it was ridiculous. You open up the season as a D2 team against Norfolk State, a D1 team in the MEAC, right? Yes, both HBCUs, but one's D2, one's D1. And you knock them off 14-10. So you kick off your season knocking off a D1 opponent. You know you're feeling good, but I don't even know if at that moment they knew exactly what was about to come. They went undefeated that year for the first time in Virginia State history. They had never gone undefeated. So obviously they ran the table within the CIAA as well because you don't go undefeated without going undefeated in your conference. And for the most part, these were easy games. They had a couple of close calls, like the game against Virginia Union, close call. The game versus, I believe, Livingstone was a close call. They, there were a couple of them, but that's about it. Everybody else, they were dusting up by at least multiple possessions. So let's look at what they were able to do offensively specifically. When you look at it, 40 points or more six times, 50 points or more 
three times. They even hit a high, a high of 73 points. They were dominant offensively. They were dominant offensively because you're looking at extremely good coaching. You have to put that in there because everything I'm naming is offense. Mind you, it's all coming back to the fact I think he can be a good quarterback's coach. This is just Feature Friday. At this point, the original or the the top of the show, takeaway. This is just like our regular free uh, Feature Friday. This is just like when we take a player, a coach, an event, somebody, and we highlight them. That's exactly what we're doing for Reggie Barlow. But we're also tying it in to the conversation that we had at the beginning of the show. And the conversation we had at the beginning of the show is impossibly making it to the NFL. It all goes together. I told you, it is a two-part story. Reggie Barlow he has the offensive mind. You see it there with the D.C. defenders. And it doesn't have to always just be the quarterback. That's fine. Sometimes it's the running back. Sometimes it's the running game. I just feel like we've seen him develop a quarterback into a collegiate prospect or from a collegiate prospect into an NFL pro so that QB coach would make the most sense. That's what we've seen for him. He's a former wide receiver. He's a former quarterback coach. Doing that in the NFL would just be the most logical next step, in my opinion. But like I said, they have the best running back in the XFL. Let's look at some of the best running backs in the HBCU landscape because HBCU Sports released a list of five running backs that they're most interested in. I'll say it that way. And we'll describe why there's a little bit of hesitancy on how they're labeling their list as we continue with Locked on HBCU. As wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day and making it all the way to segment three. I thank you two times for that. Now, there's some big time questions, some real major questions in the HBCU ranks for some of these running back situations. Now, HBCU Sports released a list of running backs that you should watch. I think that's how they said it. Now, I thought it was a top five list, and if it is, I got some questions for HBCU Sports. But I don't think I don't think it is after reading it and reading the intro two or three times. I was like, okay, these are just some top prospects in general. So the players named are top prospects. They're not the top prospects, but they're top prospects within the HBCU landscape, and they're interesting to HBCU Sports. That's the way that I took it. That's the way I'm going to take it. Because to me, that makes the most sense and lines up with why the players that were listed off were listed off. But I'm not going to run down every one. See, 2022 was the year of the running back. You had players like Bashul Tootin, Jarvian Howard, um, Emmanuel Wilson, Jada Byers, top flight running backs out there. That was the year of the running back. Let's see if next year can be the same. You still have Howard. You still have Byers, right? Those, those guys are still there. Of course, Tootin transferred. You're looking at Wilson, who went into the NFL draft. Those guys aren't here, but there's more people who come in now. Some of the questions that HBCU Sports posed, the publication posed, is what's up with these splits? What are these splits are going to look like as far as carry and, you know, workload? And then also efficiency and probably a more even backfield. Let's start off with Prairie View because Prairie View is the one that they're questioning what is the workload distribution going to look like. You look at Antoine Ahmed, or excuse me, excuse me, uh, Ahmad Antoine. You're looking at Antoine as a player who he was second fiddle to Jaden Stewart last year. 
But Jaden Stewart hit that portal. And Jaden Stewart is a lumberjack now, I believe. I think he's at SFA. I think he's at Stephen F. Austin. So now, when you look at what Antoine was able to do, you would think that he was ready to take that next step up to being the number one running back. And I don't know if you're wrong. I don't know if that isn't the case. But what I do know is, purview, like I said with the transfer portal, it giveth and it taketh, right? So it took Jaden Stewart, but it gave you two-time all-swag running back Caleb Johnson. Now you're probably sitting there like, hmm, Johnson, Conley, and the publication pointed that out. You would assume that getting a two-time all-swag player, he'd come in and just be your number one. And that would put Stewart right back in the number two spot, mind you. I said that it seemed like Stewart, as far as statistics go, was ready to be that number one guy. The publication question, if maybe that shouldn't be the case, should we just go ahead and just label Caleb Johnson that number one running back? And it's no disrespect to him. It's just the fact that if you're going based off of last year, well, um, uh, Antoine had a better year than Johnson did. More yards, more yards per carry, more touchdowns. The only thing that Antoine had less than Johnson is carries, right? So he had less carries with more yards. This guy was extremely efficient. I think he averaged about six yards per carry dynamite. So it's not, a, it's not an offense, but maybe we should be looking at at least a very even workload. But it'll be interesting to see if that's the way that they operate. So now you go to Shaw. And Shaw, it's not really about workload distribution. It's about what are you going to do when you get your touches. And I'm looking at Andre Brandon, and his ability to contribute was as a number two running back. Very similar to Ahmad Antoine. Except for one game, he got to be the number one. And man, what a game it was. What a game it was. In that game, he had 49 carries for 306 yards. Now, immediately you'll be like, 49 carries? 49 carries might stick out even more than the 300 yards does. Because like, 49? For a running back who was the number two all year until then? Yeah, 49 carries. But when you actually do the math, that's still over six yards per carry. That's still a whopping number. So, yes, he got a lot of carries, but he was extremely efficient. You know, it's one thing to have 49 carries and be at 159 yards or something. You're not even touching four yards a pop. That's a different conversation. But if you get 49 and you're in the 300s, I don't care if you got 49 carries. As long as you was able to hold up, that's the only part that I care. I'm not going to use the amount of carries you have to discredit 300 yards. Because you're not running the ball 70 times in a game, 80 times in a game. You're not doing that. So if you hit 300 yards, you hit 300 yards. And that should be the bigger story. But if you take that 49 yards, or excuse me, 49 carries, 306 yards out of his total on the season, well, then it changes. Now his averages drop from 4.5 to 3.9. And in that game, he has six yards per carry. On a season, in every other game, 3.9. That's a big difference. If you can get Brandon to just 4.5 yards per carry without the big spike in, the, in some of the dips, if you can just get it even even just throughout the year and you compare that with what you're getting from Gibbs, Shaw could have a really, really, really dangerous running attack with two running backs who are around the 4.5 to 5 yards per carry threshold. That's impressive. Now... I have a question of my own. This doesn't come from HBCU Sports. Who's going to replace the production and the impact 
a Bashul Tutin? Or how are they going to replace that? It does not even mattering about who. I don't really care what the running back or who the running back is going to be. I more so care of how is his production going to be replaced. Because that's 1,700 yards from your running back. You had about 13 and a half hundred, about 1350, I should say, I don't like how that sounded. You have about 1350 on the ground. You had about 350 through the air. I think it was somewhere around there, maybe 1340, 360, something around there. But it totaled up to about 1700 yards. How are you going to replace that? Is it going to be mostly running the ball? Are you going to be having another bell cow? Are you going to pass the ball a little bit more? I know that what he what Vincent Brown wants in the passing attack is making the quarterbacks happy. Maybe that's what they're going to do to replace the production of Bashul Tootin. Pass. Who knows? But I would love to see it. This isn't about who's going to replace him. It's about what is the role of the running backs in North Carolina ante. How much of a part are they going to play in replacing this massive contribution from one guy? Because it's going to have to be more than just one guy this year. That's at least my prediction on it. Also, you should go check out this article. No love for the MEAC. There's no MEAC running back in there. I thought that was interesting. No Latrell Collier. Oh, nobody? Okay. I thought that you would have had somebody else in there from the MEAC, but it wasn't there. They weren't represented. I'll tell you this. I'm very interested to see what Latrell Collier can do this year. I'll throw it in there. It's not a top five list, so it's no sort of snubs. It's just that wasn't as interesting as the other running backs that they listed off, but I do suggest that you go watch that. And on Monday, because we'll be back on Monday, continue to make us your first listen of the day just like you did today because I really do appreciate that. But we'll be back with another list from HBCU Sports, and it's about the quarterbacks. And I had a little bit of an observation from their quarterbacks to watch list. In the meantime, in between time, though, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other family, take care, stay blessed. Peace.